Hello and welcome to Making Digital, the show where we talk about product, technology and design and how they work together to make digital goodness. My name is Jared Stevens and once again I'm joined by my lovely, lovely co-host Jeremy Carney. Say hello, Jeremy. Hello, Governor. Jared, why are we talking in British accents? Well, um... You're not talking in a British accent. I don't know what accent you're doing, but I'm talking in a British accent because I thought that's what we decided we were going to do. I I, I think I I forgot that. Um, let me. Do, is it better if I do Scottish? Does this sound Scottish at all? No. Once again, I'm not sure what you're trying to accomplish, but you're not doing it. <sighs> okay. All right. All right. I'm gonna give it up. I thought it would work for this, um, but let's just get into what we're going to talk about. So um, we're really excited to bring you this episode today. Um, to be honest, this is the second time we have recorded this episode. We talked a long time ago about getting to record an episode that talked about the leadership lessons from the show Ted Lasso, and we recorded it. But then we got the opportunity to give this talk live at San Antonio Startup Week. So we decided we really liked the live version and we wanted to bring that to you. And that's why we're talking in British accents. Well, at least why I'm talking in a British accent. And you're still talking in a British accent. Okay, so, all right. All right. Um, no, we are uh, extremely excited to to get to cover this topic. It's one that I love just a quick reminder this is about season one only so if you have watched season one it will make sense if you've watched season two some things might have changed i'm not going to give any spoilers and if you haven't watched any at all pause now go binge season one and then come back and listen to this episode all right and with that we will roll tape Welcome, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, uh, welcome to San Antonio Startup Week, and thanks for coming to listen to our uh, somewhat unconventional talk. We're excited to have you all today. Yeah. Uh, I just want to make a quick note. We're not sponsored by Apple, Ted Lasso, uh, or anyone to, that has anything to do with the show. Uh, we're just super fans, and um, yeah, don't sue us. Don't sue us, yeah. All right. Um, a little bit about us, uh, Jay. My name is Jared Stevens. I'm a design leader. Uh, I'm currently the head of product design at Bright Health Group. And um, I started my career off at a lot of small companies. I did some startups. Then I worked at USA for about six years, so I did the large company thing. And now I'm at Bright Health Group, which is kind of a graduate of, of you know, a startup graduate. Uh, we just IPO'd a couple of months ago. so. Um, it's been a kind of a successful startup uh, story, but um, throughout my career, I worked at agencies, I worked at large companies, uh, and I think I found just just about the right right size for my particular skill set and my uh, my particular gifts. What really throws people off though about me as a design leader is that I can't draw. I'm not that type of creative. It took me a really long time to figure that out about myself. I dealt with my own little flavor of imposter syndrome because I can't draw as opposed to this guy who can draw pretty well. Um, 
But what I learned is that creative leadership is its own type of art. And you don't have to be really good at the physical art skills to be a good creative leader. Hand it off to you, Jim. My name is Jeremy Carney. I am the director of digital experience design at Bright. I had to read that because Jared tells me I make my title up all the time. Um, most of my early career was spent in the startup space. I've been around Geekdom since uh, basically the start. Uh, if you've ever been to a Fermented Friday, um, that was actually something that we were part of starting. It was that was my he, idea. He, he, na he named it. Um, <laughs> he just about blank the credits back. I said we. <laughs> Um, so most of my early career, again, was in the startup space. Um, I ended up going to work for a big corporation. I worked for USA. Um, but the, the thing about the dynamic that we have, uh, why we end up talking together a lot, uh, Jared and I have known each other for 25 years. We've actually known each other since high school geometry. We've worked at five, six, seven, seven, seven companies, companies together. Yeah. yeah. Um, some by choice, some not. Um, we've learned a lot of lessons together over the years, especially about leadership. Um, that led us to create a podcast. Um, so we're actually used to talking about this subject. We're just not used to doing it in front of people. Uh, we, we have spoken in front of people a few times. Yeah. Um, but we have a podcast specifically uh, on design leadership. You want to yeah, tell a little it bit? is called Making Digital. So it's out there on the App Store. Where I guess we're heading towards the end of season one, um, but. This, if our talk sounds interesting to you at all, go give the podcast a listen. We'd appreciate any likes or comments you have. I'm not going to stop my, spot, my podcast spiel just because we're talking in public. Awesome. I love it. Um, so now, why Ted Lasso? This is why you really came, um, or this is why you're online uh, watching us. Um, it's a topic I've been excited to talk about for a really long time. Um, I hope y'all have watched the show. If you haven't, I hope you go watch it later. We're specifically talking about season one, so if things don't line up with where you are in this, a different season, it's okay. Um, the reason why I connected so closely to Ted um, when we started watching the show is his style of leadership. Um, a, a quick recap of the premise, uh, Ted is an American football coach who was sent to England to coach a Premier League soccer team. And he wasn't set up from success. The odds were completely stacked against him. But how he leads people and how the people around him react to him is what's so magical and captivating about this show. Which leads us to our premise. A good leader can lead any team if. And we're gonna take you through some if statements um, that we think are really important to how a good leader can lead any team. Yep. I'm gonna pass it off to Jared for the first one. So I'll kick us off, and the point we wanna make here is that a good leader can lead any team if you rely on the right people. And the person from the show that we're gonna talk about here is called Coach Beard. I don't know if he's called Coach Beard because he has a beard, or because that's his actual name, or if they're just leaving us in limbo. Have I missed that part? No, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's actually his name or if they just call him Coach Beard. Anyway. Coach Beard is Ted Lasso's right-hand person. When Ted Lasso got the job, he immediately pulled Ted Coach Beard in and said, okay, look, I need your help. Ted Lasso doesn't know anything about soccer, and he's going to, to coach this soccer team in another country. So you would think he would start reading about soccer, but he didn't. He got Coach Beard, who he trusted and he knew, anything 
thing that Coach Beard did, he dove into 100%. Ted Lasso knew about leadership. Coach Beard learned about soccer, and he became the soccer expert that Ted Lasso depended on throughout the entire process. And that's an important part, because one of the things I've struggled with as a manager and as a leader of people is that I feel like I have to be the expert on everything, but I can't be. I've done a lot of, uh, lot of work in digital development, digital design, and everyone here knows that that world is changing constantly and quickly and stuff. I mean, I was a very good front-end developer five years ago. I'm not a good front-end developer now, even though my skills have stayed sharp, I haven't stayed up with the industry. I cannot be good at everything. And so if I go into a situation as a leader and try to depend on myself to know everything, I'm gonna fail. Or I'm going to feel like an imposter. Or my team is gonna feel like, why is he doing everything? Why, why isn't he depending on us to do it? Um, so one of the things that you, you notice about Coach Beard when he's on the plane is that he's always, he's always reading. He's always reading a book. Um, and Ted Lasso points to him anytime that he needs a technical aspect of the sport. And I think that's important for us as leaders is to know who the people are on your team that are, that are the experts in any given spot and to depend on them. And I can speak for myself that depending on someone, especially in a tense situation, is not always easy. Okay, but I have a, I've got a question. So if Ted is always pointing to Coach Beard when it comes to the aspects of the game, is Ted actually coaching? Depends on how you define a coach. If you think that a coach has to be an expert at the entire game, then I, I'm sure that there are coaches that are experts at the entire game. I'm sure that there are leaders that are experts in their own field. But that leader and that coach is never going to be able to scale to a large organization. They're never going to be able to lead more than three or four or five people because then it just becomes too massive. And so a real coach, a real head coach, has people underneath him who have, or underneath them who have um, special skill sets that they can depend on. So an example from, uh, from my work, I started at Bright Health about a year ago, and I came in there to start the product design um, program, and there was only two of us when I started. My first task was to grow this program to 15 to 20 designers in a year, which is not easy, especially in this job market. Um, everyone is moving and everyone is, is taking a new job and it is ultra competitive. So I knew that my first couple of hires were going to be immensely important. When I first, when I first posted my job recs, um, I got a couple of people who applied to my requisition from previous teams, who had been on my team previously. And it took me a little bit of time to decide, should I, should I bring someone who I know and I trust into this new situation? Or do I, am I gonna try to build things from the ground up? Like what's, what's the right approach here? And I ultimately decided, I know the skill sets of these people. I know what they're capable, what they're capable of. And for these first few hires, I'm going to bring in someone who I can depend on and who knows all the technical aspects of the, of the game that I'm trying to play. And then I'm going to expand out to bring on new team members. Um, so it was a very intentional decision on my part to bring on someone who I knew and who I trusted and who had all the, all the right skills at that moment 
to kind of lay a foundation uh, from the technical aspects of what we were trying to do. So that's Coach Beard. All right. The next person is one of my absolute favorite characters, uh, Roy Kent. Um, why I love Roy, and going back to the, um, the premise of a good leader can lead any team if you find the key person to winning over the locker room. Um, one, I love Roy because he can say so much with so few or no words, and that is not me. It takes me three sentences to explain how to open the door. Um, I am just not the person who can you know, summarize things up quickly, obviously, as I keep talking about. Um, but the thing I really love about Roy in this context is how Ted identified him as the key to winning over the locker room. Um, there's a moment in the show where Ted looks out at the locker room and he looks at Roy and he goes, he's the one. And then there's a moment where Ted and Coach Beard are talking and they say, he thinks he's bad now, wait till we win him over, um, just talking about what they were going to do. But he didn't just walk out and tell Roy, you're the one. He, gives, he started a series of small actions to take place over the entire season, um, really helping Roy figure out that he's the one. Uh, one of the things that he does is he gives Roy a copy of uh, A Wrinkle in Time. Um, and Roy's reading it throughout the series, and there's this amazing moment um, where, if you don't know what A Wrinkle in Time is about, uh, it's about the story of a young girl's struggle with the burden of leadership as she journeys through space. Um, and there's this beautiful moment in the, the series uh, where Roy has this realization that, as you can see, wait, am I supposed to be the little girl? Um, and it, it just was this beautiful moment because Ted had brought him through this journey, through all of these actions and through this book, Roy realizes that he has to be the one to turn the locker room around. Um, so how do you find that person in your own company, in your own organization? Um, that's the tricky piece to this. Um, but paying attention um, to who has the respect on the team is key. So when I was at USA and I took over one of the teams uh, as, a, as a director, as a new leader, um, coming onto that team, I was immediately able to identify the one person, this project manager, who just had the respect of the team. Everybody talked to her. In fact, they would talk to her more than they would talk to me. Um, but she was the one who really, really had the respect of the team. Um, me investing time in her, in her growth, and helping her to see her importance on the team transformed that team. And it was an action that um, you know I'll, I'll never regret was, was really looking and finding that one person. Mm. Yeah. The next person that we want to talk about is Nate. If you're familiar with the show, you'll know that Nate was the, is it, is it a kid boy? Kid, kid man? Kid man? I think All so. right. I have no idea what a kid man does in soccer. However, the kid, um, the kid's the uniform and the oh, shoes. And, okay. The kit is the uniform and the shoes and things like that. So that's what, that's what Nate was. Nobody looked up to him. Nobody respected him. Nobody really cared what he thought, but Nate had opinions. And Nate was paying attention to everything that was going on in the field. And Ted noticed that. And Ted started to nourish that. And throughout the season, you see this growth of Nate as a, as a player. Uh, and if Ted had not talked to Nate, 
the way if Ted had not nourished that relationship, he would have never realized that Nate had a lot of subject matter expertise. He knew the game a lot better than Ted did. And so the point we want to make here is when you're dealing with your team, you're dealing with even with your peers, if you want someone to trust you, you need to give trust. And giving trust and investing in someone allows them to very easily turn around and invest in you and trust you. It's a two-way relationship um, in the workplace, I think, in relationships as well, but I'm not a relationship expert, so I'm not going to go there. But I will say, in a leader, from a leadership perspective, when you invest in people and when you trust people, it allows them to trust you back. Um, where this came into play in my own, on my own team is I, I was recently hiring for a director position, and um, I put out, put out the rec. I had a lot of great candidates apply. I mean, stellar candidates, candidates that I think could probably have easily had my job, um, but they were applying for a job where they would be working for me. Um, so I was excited to interview them. I was excited to, to get it going, but then someone on my team, my, um, one of my leads came to me and said, you know what? I think I want to apply for that position. I want to see, uh, I want to see if I'm the right, I'm the right fit for that. And my first thought was, I don't know, like I have these great candidates. I, I could be bringing this great talent in, uh, but I was like, no, let, let's go ahead and interview. Let's interview you. We'll put everybody through the, through the same panel. Um, they interviewed, they interviewed great. They had a lot of great things to say and it was a very close decision. But what ultimately tipped the scale to me was that when you invest in someone, on your team, they're going to invest even more in the uh, in your team than, than you do. And believing in someone and promoting from within has so many advantages. So if you're in the right if you're in the right situation to do so, and there's someone on your team who is close to being that lead, even if they're not quite ready, if you invest in them and you give them that opportunity, a lot of times it's going to pay off more than bringing in external bringing in external talent. Awesome. Um, a good leader can lead any team if you pay attention to toxic teammates and you deal with them. Um, I hate talking about this subject, but it is one that is incredibly important because toxic teammates destroy teams. Um, did you know most professional sports have a plus minus average uh, of Score points scored on the field well, like while you're on the field and while you're off the field. So basically measuring while you're on the field, does the team do better? Or while you're off the field, does the team do better? No idea, but now my life makes sense. Yeah, I'm measuring. But I want to correct you. It's not It's not a field. It's called a pitch. What? In soccer, it's called a pitch. It's not a field. Okay. Uh, it was things we learned. Um, yeah, sorry. I've been reading about soccer while you were a journalist. <laughs> Um, so, Ted's assessment of Jamie as a toxic player and working to address that um, by both him and other teammates like Roy Kent um, was key to getting the buy-in from his team. Um, with toxicity, a lack of action leads to a breakdown in the trust and belief that things are going to get better on your team. Um, action speaks volumes. A lack of action with toxic teammate is even louder.
Um, imagine a scenario where Jamie was allowed to continue playing, behaving as he did. I don't think the team would have had more wins in that season. Uh, maybe Jamie's stats would have gone up, but his toxicity outweighed to the contributions to the team. In that case, his plus minus was in the negative, both in score and in team culture. I have had um, on my teams some incredibly talented people, some of the best designers, developers that I've ever worked with who were some of the most toxic people that I've ever worked with. Um, and that is extremely difficult because while you want to rely on the talent and you want to really um, use the things that they have to give, I would say two people with half their skill set, um, even one person with half their skill set would be more valuable to a team because of what toxicity can take away from your team. Um, whereas the positive attitude is a multiplier, the toxicity uh, absolutely is a detractor. Yeah, I want to go back to the point that you made there, that not taking action on toxicity is just as bad as taking the wrong action on toxicity. When you do not take action on a toxic team member, it drives the non-toxic team members away from your team. Yeah. It's very tempting as a leader to think, I just need to, I just need to give it more time. I need to give this person another chance. And I like to play the nice guy. I really like to play the nice guy. I like to give people more chances. And sometimes knowing when you've given enough chances and when it's time to move on, can, it can be a hard decision to make. But just know every time you decide to give someone another chance that is, that is bringing toxicity to your team, everyone else on your team is taking another step further away. All right, so that takes us to if you, you can lead any team if you invest in your team's growth. This is my favorite one uh, because I have a really great personal story about that. But what happens in Ted Lasso is the team's not doing well. The team's losing uh, and they're about to be relegated, which means they're about to be sent to essentially the minor leagues. Is that what it is? They go from like the... Premier League to, to, a lesser league to a lesser league. So like going from the majors to the minors to use a baseball analogy. Um, so you would think that Ted would be upping their training and would be yelling at them and would be pushing them. But what does he do? He buys them a book. And I think it really makes a lot of people mad that he does that. But I love that analogy because what he does is he invests in his team. He invests in their learning. Um, and if you remember Jeremy's point, that Roy Kent's tra transformation started with that book, started with investing in, uh, in one of the team mem members. Sometimes when things are super stressful, when you feel like everything's falling apart, when you feel like you don't know how to handle the situations that are going on in your job, the last thing you want to do is spend time investing in your team because that feels like the least urgent, the least important thing that you could be doing. But I can promise you, it's at those moments when you, when you most need to invest in your team because you're not going to be able to carry yourself out of that stressful situation. Only the team united can carry you through that, and you can only do that if you're investing in your team. That's your number one job as a leader. Um, about, well, I guess time frames. 
time frames don't matter, but um, there was a time when I was trying to decide between two very good jobs. I had two very good offers on the table. One was at a company I was already at. Um, they wanted me. They wanted me to take on some additional responsibility. They wanted me to to lead in another area of the company. Um, and then I had an external offer, and the external offer was offering more money and the ability to do even more responsibility. But I really liked where I was at, and I really liked the team I had. Um, and the money, the money wasn't as big a deal as the ability to invest in my team. So I went to both companies and I said, look, investing in my team is a very big um, part of what I want to do. How can you help me have the funds, have the opportunity to invest in my team? And the company that I was at offered to give me more bonuses, offered to give me a retention agreement, offered me more money, but they would not offer me the funds to invest in my team. They wouldn't offer me the funds to buy books, to buy magazine subscriptions, to send, send folks to conferences. And the external company said, yeah, sure, we'll give you a budget for that. So I made that decision not based on money, but based on the fact that one company would allow me to invest in my team and the other company didn't seem interested in that. That to me shows as a leader, that's the company I want to work for. I don't want to work for a company that doesn't, doesn't empower me as a leader to invest in my team. Absolutely. So, bringing this home, a good leader can lead any team if you believe. And if you've watched the show, it's a familiar sign. Believing in your team, believing in your purpose, and believing in yourself, you can't go wrong. Trent Krim, one of the reporters in the show, says it best. If the last way is wrong, it's hard to imagine being right. Um, that's it. I'll add one bonus. Hello. One bonus point to it. Um, the owner of the team, Rebecca, she brought Ted Lasso, this football coach from America, from the American American college system, to coach a team in England because she was mad at her ex-husband, and her ex-husband loved that team. So she wanted to do something to screw it all up. She thought that by bringing Ted Lasso, she would embarrass her ex-husband. As the season went on, she realized she'd actually done a really good thing and that Ted Lasso was the right coach for this position. But now she had this secret that she was holding back and she didn't feel like she could move forward as Ted's leader unless she told him the truth. And so she did. She told him, look, I brought you here as a joke, but you've proven me wrong. She was incredibly brave in that moment. And I think as, as a leader, sometimes we hesitate to be honest with the people that we lead. There's some things we can't be honest about. There are things that as a leader you can't share. But when it comes to tough decisions and when it comes to things, be, when it comes to tough situations, be very clear in your mind about what you absolutely can't share and about what you can share but you're just hesitant to share. And I would say always steer on the side of honesty when you can. You have to give trust to get trust. So that's your bonus tip for that one. 
I wanted to bring Rebecca into that story. I love it. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Mm -hmm. uh, go out. We hope these, these are helpful tips to you. And uh, if you haven't watched the show, go watch it. And it might make sense. But yes, definitely. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. <laughs>
you have to meet both needs. And I think the um, working in a distributed nature has highlighted that uh, dichotomy. Besides firing someone, what are some strategies that you can have to deal with a toxic team? Because probably firing would be the, the, the last resort. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a great question. Yeah, firing is not only the last resort, it's also, it's also hard, especially in the case that I was talking about earlier, where you have an extremely talented teammate, um, you know, uh, but um, I, I try to, have open conversations with my teams um, throughout the process, uh, you know, regardless of who they are. Um, and I always try to get them to see, it's, it's hard to go to someone and say, um, you know, you're a jerk to everyone. It's a little easier to go to someone and say, the perception of the team is that you don't let anyone else talk. Um, or the perception of the team uh, is that when you're in the room, um, you know, uh, people are anxious to give their opinions or um, our partners um, don't respond as well if you're there. So if you start, start talking about it from the perception side, it kind of pulls it out of just your viewpoint um, and, and gives the, and, and it, it does that without calling out team members, um, trying to give them a wider view of it, but I'm trying to show them how they come across. Because sometimes they might not think that they come across the way that they do. They, they probably are the last person to think that they're the toxic teammate, to be honest. Um, and so um, showing them that people see them that way um, is incredibly valuable in that, that case. Yeah. I've also seen it where I will have teammates coming to me saying, this person, this person, this person doing this, and this person's doing this, and this person's doing this. And if there's... An, if it's always coming from me to the toxic team member, then it, then it just sounds like my boss is getting on to me again. I try to encourage where they're comfortable, the team members to say, look, we were in that meeting with the business partners and you made that comment and that made me feel very uncomfortable um, because you put a lot of pressure on me in that situation. Now, there are certain situations where it should be the boss communicating it and not the team members. Like I'm not talking about like HR violations or things like that. But in, in the case where the toxic team member is causing team disruptions, hearing it from the team is very different from hearing it from the boss. So I try to, I try to get them, I try to get the team members to communicate that. I also, um, you have to have frank conversations to begin with. If you haven't, if you've just been letting it build, and I, I know this because I've done this, if you just let it build and let it build and you're like, okay, I'm gonna have to fire this person, I'm gonna have to fire this person, I, you know, I'm just gonna have to fire this person. You need to have frank conversations first. You need to lay out, these are the behaviors that I see that absolutely have to change. And if they don't change, your, your status at this company is going to have to change. Um, talk about the perceptions like Jeremy was saying, but be very specific on the behaviors. Look, every single time that we're in a meeting, you're always multitasking. And the, the, team, the team isn't getting the leadership out of you that, that, that they need. That has to change. Well, now that gives them something to measure against. It's not just you're being a jerk, you know? Um, behavior change is one thing. 
then you also have to start to get to the roots of what's happening here. Sometimes people are just toxic and they're toxic and they're not gonna change. Sometimes they're toxic because they're really not in the right job or they're not on the right part of your team or they're not in the right part of the company. And you can help them be less toxic by getting to know them, by getting to understand them, by, by um, finding that right spot for them, to find out what, what, is, what are the things that are causing them to act out that way. Yeah, good question. I, I wanna add to that. Um, when you have people who have risen through the ranks as incredibly gifted individual contributors, um, it's natural for people to look at them and go, we should make them a leader. And that's not always the case, especially, especially at some points in time where you have someone who's an incredibly gifted individual contributor, but they are a toxic person. And so having conversations with them about where do you want to go in your career, like should it be leadership, being honest with them about their skill sets, and maybe they're communicating with other people isn't in their upper skills right now, and it's something that they can work on, but you can communicate that to them because maybe they shouldn't become a director, maybe they should become a, print, like a principal designer as kind of the, the highest non-director um, role in, in the design field, but maybe they should be in that role instead of working with people um, because the people that you grow on your team who go on to be leaders are someone else's leader or someone else's problem in the future and you want to do everything that you can to make sure that they go into their next role in the right position um, and not uh, in a place where they would bring other people down. Alright. Yeah, please. I, I think my go-to is being vulnerable with them um, because ultimately getting people engaged is about getting them to care. And if, if it's always just about the work that's right in front of you, um, it's, you're, if they don't care about that, like if, oh wow, we're, we're counting widgets, like who cares, I don't, I don't want to be involved in that. Um, they're going to be disengaged. But if you show them a little bit of vulnerability about yourself, like, hey, look, I'm not that into counting widgets either. It's not, it's, it's not that fun. But you know what is fun is, um, is thinking about what the success could be. And, uh, here's something that I'm struggling with right now. Or, you know, there, there's all, a whole host of things that you can be, you can be vulnerable, vulnerable about. Um, that will start to have it played back to you. Same thing, same principle we talked about earlier. You have to give trust to get trust. You have to, you have to be engaged. You have to show people that you care about them in order for them to turn around and be engaged and care about what they're, what they're doing. Yeah, um, I actually love, I love that question because um, like going into a team as a new leader, especially with people you don't know, um, it's, it's always daunting to go in and be like, okay, well, what are they gonna think of me? Um, and I tried to turn that on its head. I created a workshop. Um, I, I call it the Pies Workshop. It's a pur uh, purpose. Uh, no, I can't remember. Identity. That. Identity. Empowerment. Empowerment support. Thank you for remembering. Um, but the whole purpose of it is um, to help the team figure out what they're there to do, um, 
who they are as individuals, to bring that together into who they are as a team, um, and then to work and learn more about the, the boss and um, what they're going to do um, as, like how, how they want to work as a team, how they want to lead as a team, um, how they want to, to go forward, um, so that they understand who they are before you start working. Because if you, if you go in and you're disengaged, if you have a disengaged team, and you just start, all right, here's our assignment, let's go, um, you're not gonna get buy-in from them. But I, it's, it's part of that whole vulnerability piece that Jared was just saying, sitting down and talking about who are we and what can we be as a group um, is a really powerful way to um, not only get their buy-in, but to engage them and focus them on their, their purpose and their future. Yeah. Have we done a podcast episode on the Python? I think we did. I think we did. Yeah. yeah. So, so if, you, if you're interested in that method, you can check out the Making Digital podcast. And the, yeah, the, our podcast is called Making Digital. Oh, it, uh, Pies. P-I-E-S. Um, I like food, so I named it after uh, food. So. All right. Any other questions? Yeah. Yeah, for, yeah, for the people online, please. Who has been a lasso in your life, and how has it impacted you? Oh man, that's a great question. Um, uh, I've got one. Go for it. Um, so when I was at USA, my um, my executive director um, quit to go work at Envision, and um, they didn't immediately replace him. So then I started working for the chief design officer, Mariah, and I was very, very nervous. Like, extraordinarily, like, I'd had maybe one or two conversations with her up to that point. She was incredibly intimidating to me. That, that imposter syndrome that I talked about earlier about not being able to draw. So now I'm reporting to the chief design officer of a Fortune 100 company, and I'm like, um, you know, she's gonna think that I'm, she's gonna think I'm a fake, like she's gonna realize that, that I, I, I'm really an imposter. Um, plus, you know, she, she's responsible for 250 designers, um, and, you know, I've got my little team of seven here, um, what, you know, she's not gonna have time for me anyway. Within, within a month of reporting to her, uh, I was just, I was amazed at how much time she gave me, at how much she was willing to invest in me and invest in my growth and invest in like actually knowing me and what what I was working on and what my team was struggling with, even though she had all of these other priorities going on. And I knew that. And I knew she was leading a large organization. Like she was the best boss that I've ever had um, at getting to know me and at uh, and at pushing me uh, and at helping me achieve what I didn't know that I, I could achieve. Yeah. Um, Mine uh, was a guy, uh, he, he was on the board of a startup that we were at. Um, uh, his name's Ed Bergen. Um, he, uh, I, I love Ed because um, at that time I was leading the company. Um, I forgot what my title was at the time, but I was doing the operations for the company. I was doing business development. Um, I was doing what I thought was propping the company up. I thought I was doing all of the work to lead it. And I wanted my title to match it. I was a little bit of a jerk, I think, in my my head at that point. Um, but I remember talking to Ed about it and having this long conversation with him. He gave me a book called The Rational Manager, and I was far from rational. I 
I think I still am far from rational. But he gave me this book called The Rational Manager that I still have. Um, and he talked me through it and he said, Jeremy, like, if you do the work, your time will come. And he's like, it might not be here. Like, just to be clear, like, it might not be, but if you do the work, your, your time will come. And we were actually talking about this last weekend. Um, uh, someone asked the question, um, like, what's the biggest difference between uh, how you feel now in your uh, 40s, it's a surprise, I know, um, and uh, how, you, how you felt in your 30s. Um, and I thought back to that moment, and I, I realized, I think I'm the leader now that I thought I was when I was 30. And that was like this very powerful moment kind of back to that point where someone was telling me, you're gonna get there, but I needed more time. I needed a decade to get there. Um, so that was my All right, Mark. Well, great questions. Thank yeah. you so much. Um, it's, been a, it's been a pleasure um, getting to talk to you. Um, feel free to um, reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can ever be, a, be of service and um, check out our, our podcast at Making Digital Thanks, y'all. Thank you. And there we have it, folks. Hope you enjoyed our leadership talk about Ted Lasso. Yeah, this was an extremely fun one to do. Um, I'm even thinking about a season two episode, but we'll get to that. Speaking of future episodes, we are nearing the season, the end of season one for our show. Uh, we've really enjoyed recording this this year. We've learned a lot of lessons and we're trying to figure out what we want to continue to do, what we want to change, uh, and what we want to do moving forward with the show. So Jared and I are going to take some time off over the holidays and kind of regroup and figure out what season two of Making Digital looks like. Um, we've got one more episode in store for you after this one, so please tune in for that. And then we look forward to seeing you in the new year. Yes. And if you've enjoyed season one, we would still love a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. Pod podcast platforms include things like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other things that I'm not familiar with. But until next time, my name is Jared Stevens. And I am Jared McConey. Still not very good. And together we are making digital. Not bad. Huh? Sweet. That works. The views and ideas expressed on this podcast are our own and do not represent those of any previous, present, or future employers. Or spouses. Or family. Peace out. <laughs>